All right. A couple of uh, announcements. Um, so we have a dinner after this. We're going to join together. And if you did not realize that coming in, you're more than welcome to attend. Um, we'll have plenty of chili back there. And so uh, we're actually going to not do the little breakout groups as a result of that dinner. And also, um, on that table out there, there are t-shirts that you're welcome to, if you would like. And there's a sample on the table, but next to it's a big box full of t-shirts from youth sizes all the way up to adult sizes. Um, And then you also find a little, an order of worship um, that gives you a feel for what an actual worship service at King's Cross will look like. You're welcome to take a look at that. And then there's another pamphlet that, that describes King's Cross Church and what we're trying to do um, as a church. So, that's available. Oh, and one other thing. There is a Westminster Shorter Catechism. If you're wondering what in the world we believe as a Presbyterian church, a PCA church, Presbyterian Church in America, uh, that little document's a good place to start. That summarizes our beliefs. Um, I think that's it. Am I missing any other announcements that are things that are upcoming? If you're in 6th through 12th grade, we've got youth things coming up. That was delayed because of the weather, but not this Wednesday, but the following. There'll be a meeting, a gathering. I think that's it. Well, let's go ahead and stand up again. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. All right, very good. You may be seated. I'm going to pray again as we get into this. Let's pray together. Father, it's good to come to you uh, again in prayer. We've been, we've been praying. We've been blessing you. We've been praying. Um, just as Paul writes in Ephesians, he, he begins by blessing um, you, and then praying, um, and that is a rhythm of worship. And so we come now asking for you to help us understand your word. We, 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 we thank you that it has such a power, 
And we pray that by your spirit, that power would be unleashed as we consider it. And that we would, we would leave this time together um, shaped more into the image of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So, um, the size of a problem determines the scope of the solution to that problem, right? The size of a problem determines the scope of the solution. So, for example, if you scrape your knee outside, the solution to that problem is a little Band-Aid. And if you're maybe six or seven, you can maybe even administer that Band-Aid yourself. Um, But let's say that you're in a serious car wreck. A Band-Aid's not going to work for that problem. You're going to need a more serious solution. It may involve physical therapy. It may involve surgery. There's all kinds of things that could be involved in that. If you get strep throat, antibiotic is your solution. If you get cancer... And antibiotics not going to work for that. You're going to need something a little more serious. You're going to need more specialized focus on that problem and a more invasive solution to that problem. Okay, and so just by way of review, Paul opens this letter of Ephesians chapter 1 by providing a blessing followed by a prayer. And that prayer, he's still kind of praying that prayer because what happens in chapter 2 verse 1 is kind of a, it's really a continuation of that prayer. And in the first three verses of chapter 2, Paul makes a devastating statement about who we are in our fallen condition. Paul describes us as being dead in our trespasses and sins, enslaved to the world, to the flesh, to the devil, And as a result of our death and our enslavement, we are under God's curse, under his wrath. And this this doctrine of of sin is, in the words of G.K. Chesterton, the most empirically verifiable doctrine of Christianity. It is so plausible as we look around at the world because we see this this sin, this course of this world, playing itself out um, globally, nationally, locally, familially in our families, even within our own hearts. We've got this sin that we, that we have to deal with. And so, severe problem, right? So what's the solution? How do we fix this problem of sin? How do we become alive? Spiritually speaking, how do we become free from our enslavement into sin? Um, Is it by switching uh, from a capitalistic economy to a more communistic type economy? That's been a a proposal, right, in the world. Is it better psychological treatment? Is it a daily devotion? Is it daily affirmations? If we can just kind of pump the self full of, um, you know, sweet talk, will that solve the problem? Uh, Is it the five pillars of Islam? Is it yoga or counseling? All of those solutions that various people over over history have proposed for this problem of sin, it's like putting a Band-Aid on a dead person to get them better. 
right? It's just, it's woefully inadequate. And so Paul, um, Paul tells us what the solution is. Verse 4, some of the most refreshing words in all of Scripture, most important words. But God, the only thing, there's a single solution to this problem of sin, and it takes nothing short than an act of God himself. And with those two words, Paul turns this seemingly irreversible tide of human sin around. But God. And what's the basis for God's act, action in the world? Well, he tells us. His, he's rich in mercy. There's a story of a photographer taking a, a photo of a family. And, uh, you know, the wife sort of you know, getting herself all ready and says, I hope, this, uh, I hope this camera does me justice. And the photographer replies, lady, you don't need justice. You need mercy. <laughs> um, and that's where we are, right? We, we, don't, we don't need, we, we need God's mercy and he's provided. He's rich in mercy, comma, because of the great love with which he loved us. Because of the great love with which he loved us. And that, that may be sort of difficult to get our minds around. What, because of the great love with which he loved us. It kind of sounds circular, doesn't it? Because of his love, he loved us. Here's another way to put it. I think a helpful paraphrase. He loves us because he loves us. Okay? That's circular. Um, let, let me talk to husbands for a moment. Let's say that you're asked um, by your spouse, uh, do you love me? And the an- you know what the answer is? <laughs> yes. Now let's say you're asked this question. Why do you love me? That can, that can get a little more complicated because how do you answer that question? Is it because of your beautiful looks? You're, you're so beautiful. Is it because of your personality? Is it because of the, the, the conversations and the fun that we have together? Is it because, what's, what's the basis? All of those things can go away, right? Beauty fades, personality diminishes. Um, I've watched my grandparents get old where one of the spouses basically lost their mind. Well, will you love me at that point? Here's here's the best answer to that question. I love you because I love you, right? It's I have set my love upon you, and it's not based on any condition. It's based on my love. It's the best kind of love. It's the love that that parents, it's the love that we have for our children. You know, a little baby enters into this world. Within our community, we've had a, 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 a couple that's just had a child. Um, the Thurmans, and, you know, their world has been turned upside down. And there's this little precious baby in their possession now that's going to demand things of them, of their schedule, of their time, of their sleep, of their finances. Right? There's demands. But you love them, right? You, you just, you love them because you love them. Apart from anything that they've done, there's just a love that you have, parents, for your children. That's the kind of love that God has for us. He loves us 
because he loves us. It's the best, it's the best kind of love. Let's keep moving. So, and it's not just that he loves us, right? Love has concrete manifestations. It doesn't just sort of sit there. It's on the move. And what has it done? Look, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses... Right, spiritually dead. He, what did God do with this love? He made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And not only did He make us alive, but He's raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look, look at how our experience in Christ tracks uh, in perfect sync with Christ's experience. Because Jesus uh, was, was crucified, he was raised to life, resurrected, spent 50 days uh, on earth ministering, continuing to minister, and then he ascends up, into, up to heaven. So there's the resurrection, there's the ascension, and then there's what's called the session, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father to rule and to reign. And Paul says God has done, his love has done all of those exact same things to us. That he made us alive. He's raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. To co-reign with Jesus over all the universe. Right? We, that, was, that was part of the prayer that we also prayed. Remember that we co-reign. The church, Christ's church, is co-reigning with him over all the universe. Now you may think, well, that sounds great, but we're, we're here in Lone Star Baptist Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I'm not, I've not been raised to heaven. Is this heaven? Um, you could think of it this way. When I was, uh, I've mentioned this before, a few weeks ago I mentioned the move that my family made uh, in, when I was in middle school from St. Louis to San Antonio. And I, you know, seventh grade, not the best of times in general. Definitely not the best of times to make a move. Um, difficult time to change schools. I know some of you in here have made that change. Kind of at this age. You know, you know what I'm talking about. But my heart, my longing, my desire in those first couple of years in San Antonio was in St. Louis. That's where my heart was set. That's where I wanted to be. That's where all my real friends were. Um, and I think that's sort of what Paul is getting at here. That our hearts, our longing, our desire is to be with Christ, raised with Him in the heavenlies. And it's as good as done, that work, uh, but it has yet to be fully, uh, to, to fully happen for us. Moving on, verse 7. What's the, what's the purpose for God showing this love towards us? So that, verse 7, in the coming ages, so that just is, you know, ages upon ages, so that in, in, in an indefinite future, um, God can shower us, His people, with the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The purpose for which God has done this is to create a people that He can pour out His kindness 
and love and immeasurable riches upon for all eternity. That's why he did it. That's, that's good news, right? It's, it's incredible news. Um, and continuing, look at verse 8. For by grace, by grace, uh, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Remember, you did nothing. We did nothing. How could we do anything, right? Remember what we, what we are before God got a hold of us with His love? What were we? Dead, spiritually enslaved to the world, the flesh, the devil. We couldn't do anything. And so this comes at us purely by grace. And Paul is saying, look, you didn't bring a wit you didn't bring charm. You didn't bring cute looks. You didn't bring like a proclivity towards spiritual things. You didn't bring anything to this. It is coming fully and forcefully from God upon you by grace that you've been saved. Um, and as a result, there's no, there's no boast. You can't boast in anything. As we sang just a moment ago, we can't boast in anything. Save Christ and His work for us. Now, you remember this little drawing here, um, grace, then peace. Remember Paul's greeting, he's, he's using the Greek greeting and the Hebrew greeting, and he's combining them. But in the process, he also happens to be kind of summarizing all of Christianity, especially this letter here, this book of Ephesians. Grace, then peace. God uh, extends his, his grace towards us, which results in peace with God, and, consequently, peace with, with neighbor, with others. Um, because, and Paul's about to mention this, and, and maybe a little premature and even going there, but what is the thing that keeps us distant from one another? I, I think if you looked at it closely, it would be self-righteousness, Right? I'm better than that race or those people or that income bracket or whatever it is because, just because. And what, God, what Paul is saying here is, look, God has acted kindly towards you and it's not on the basis of anything you did except for his love for you, which didn't come because of anything special in you. He loved you because he loved you. And that is, that is so disarming. That is, um, that is the kind of thing that clears the way for a profound uh, fellowship with one another. Is it not? It's disarming. And that's what, that's what God has done. Okay. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. The Greek word is poema. Um, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay. Um, uh, I think maybe even a better translation than workmanship is we are God's 
masterpiece. Um, you, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't even really have to believe in, in God to notice that there is a beauty to what is around us. Right? You've, maybe you've seen the bumper sticker. Earth, and then the red letters, art. Right? Um, that earth is art. And that's, that seems pretty evident across the board. That we, we believe that there is a beauty to creation. And by the way, this is a fallen world that we're looking at. And it still displays so much glory for us to see. Okay? That's creation. But we're... We are a part of creation, obviously, but what God is, what Paul is talking about here is actually something different. He's talking about a, a recreation because we were dead. We've been made alive. And so God is working about this recreation of the world, and we, his, Christ's church, are his masterpiece. We're his masterpiece. Um. So, let me, let me try to illustrate this. There, there, uh, there's a um, story about Taylor, Bob Taylor, who is the founder of Taylor Guitars. Um, I guess he received some criticism that his guitars were only good because he used, like, the best wood and the best strings and the best, you know, parts. But Bob Taylor wasn't really a good guitar maker. Well, he did not take kindly to this criticism. And so he wanted to prove his detractors wrong. And so he went out to the um, warehouse and got uh, the, the wood, the, the pallets, the wooden pallets. And he got all these shoddy parts. And he took them and he worked them into this beautiful guitar. And, and, and when you played the guitar, the sound was just pristine. It was this perfect guitar. And it, my understanding is that it's like hung at their headquarters, their corporate headquarters, as an emblem that Bob Taylor can make good guitars, right? The, 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 the guitar itself points to the superiority of Bob Taylor as a craftsman of guitars. And that is, that is what God is doing with his church He's taking all the... In fact, we're even worse than wooden pallets because wooden pallets have a purpose in this world and they fulfill that purpose, right? Their purpose is to transport boxes all around the warehouse and that's what they do. And they do that. They do well. We have a different purpose to, co to, to reign over all of creation as image bearers of God, but we don't do that. Um, we're, we're rebellious. We're rebelling from the purpose for which we were created. And yet God has still taken us and he is building us up into his masterpiece as a declaration to this world, to heavenly realms, that God is a master worker who can make something beautiful from otherwise um, needy parts such as ourselves. Now, lest we think that all this grace and mercy that God provides us would just, uh, well, in the words of Paul, uh, in light of the grace, he said, shall we just continue to sin so that grace may increase? Right? Is all this grace and good, God acting so lovingly towards us, does that just mean that we just sort of live however we want with no consequences? And Paul, of course, his answer is no. 
Like you, you haven't understood what God has done for you if you're, if, you're, if you're thinking in that way. And here he says, look, we were created in Christ Jesus for what? We have a purpose for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? You see the contrast, the beginning of the passage, verse 1, I think, uh, he, he says that we once walked, uh, follow, we once, yeah, trespasses and sins in which we once walked, but now we've got a new walk, and it's walking in the good works that God prepared beforehand, So, do you see the sweetness? Do you see the turn of events that's happened just in these 10 verses? The sweeping turn of events. We were on a crash course to our own destruction and our own rebellion. But God, right? But God intervened. And not only did He forgive us and extend mercy to us, which that's important, but look at what He's done. He's given us Jesus' destiny. Resurrection, ascension, session, He's promised to shower us with His blessings for the coming, for the coming ages, whatever that means. It sounds, it sounds really good, though. It sounds very good. Um, this is like a complete transformation. Now, I don't know how you can't want to share this with others. Like if you, if you found a cure, let's say we all had cancer, but we found a cure. We found a way to be healed from cancer. How would you be perceived if you thought to yourself, Ooh, I'm, I'm gonna, I got this secret over here. I'm going to keep this to myself. That would be awful. Right? No, you would, you would tell, proclaim it to the world, this cure for cancer, um, to a world that needs it. And what Paul has described is God's loving activity that frees us from this universal plague of our own sin and spiritual death. And so this is a message that we, we want to proclaim to a world that needs to hear it. Now, as we move forward, we're going to see more concretely how this loving action of God works itself out horizontally, right, with, with others. Um, but we're not going to go there today. What I, what I would like to do with the time that remains is take the opportunity to, if you have questions or comments or any thoughts, we'll spend a few minutes doing a little Q&A, and then we will make our way uh, to the Fellowship Hall over here for, for dinner. So any questions or comments? Um. Tony asked a question last week that was a good question. I don't feel like I answered it very well um, about Job being blameless before the Lord in that language, uh, righteous and blameless. And um, I think, I believe that's only mentioned. And so here's the question, right? Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 gave a pretty sweeping and dire assessment of our condition in sin. What do we make of some of these Old Testament characters being described as blameless and righteous, and uh, this is a great question. Um, I, I spent a little time looking at it uh, over the week, and um, you know, I think it's only three people that are mentioned in the Old Testament, blameless and righteous. Noah is described in those same terms, um, Abraham and Job. 
But in the word blameless there, that Hebrew word, is not does not mean that they were without sin. Because if you look at their lives, they clearly had problems. And Jake, you helpfully pointed out Job's sin. He's maybe the least clear sinner in, 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 in of those three. Right? Abraham has major issues. Noah, he has a few issues as well. Um, but anyway, it doesn't mean without sin. It means that um, they were living in the fear of the Lord, that they were walking um, with fear, confessing their sin, recognizing their sin, seeking to honor God, over against, in the case of Noah, the rest of the world, which was just giving no attention to God. Any other comments or questions on this passage, what we just read? Yeah. So, kind of this idea that we're children of wrath, but at the same time, like we're we were His workmanship, we were created by Him, and He loves us. And so reconciling the kind of those two, like how are we children of wrath, but at the same time, yeah, created by God that loved us. Uh, right. Well, well, that's good. Well, in this passage, so. Um, in this passage, the, what Paul is describing is this 180 turn of events that has, that has come down upon Christ's church, the, you know, Christians. Um, now, how does our uh, verse, what was the specific thing that we were, oh, by nature, children of wrath. Um, how does that square with um, how we were created to be? Well, I mean... You know, the, the, the fall is what incurred God's wrath upon humankind. Um, and so we still have incredible gifts just by virtue of being image bearers of God. Um, and the doctrine of the image of God, um, coupled with God's common grace, is why, you know, um, a non-believer can create beautiful music. By virtue of being created in the image of God, being an image bearer of God, or can come up with profound insights about what it means to be a, a person in this world. I think of philosophers that, you know, Greek philosophers that had some interest, pretty perceptive insight on the world. That can happen as a result of being image bearers of God. But nonetheless, we have still, as a result of, of um, our rebellion against God in the garden, have brought about God's wrath upon us. And um, the only means, the sing- singular solution that the New Testament, that the Scriptures provide is, verse 4, but God, right? And following. Um, God's work on our behalf in Christ. His death on the cross for our sins. That's the only way out. I don't know, does that help, Jeff? Yeah, do you think sons of children wrath, like this kind of language Mm-hmm. Pointing back to those who are related to being related to Adam, being related to Adam. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think so. And what what he's, you know, uh, John Stott, one of the commentaries I mentioned early in our study, he his um, 
the subtitle to that commentary is God's New Society. And that's what, that's what Paul is he's making that case, is that what God has done, his intervention in this world, has created nothing short of a new society that operates according to a completely different set of principles. Right? We were walking in this one manner. Now we're walking in this new manner. We were dead, and now we're alive in Christ. And it's just, I don't, the, the, the image that keeps coming to my head is like a, it's a complete 180 from the rest of the world. Um, and we'll continue to see that as this unfolds, this book unfolds. Any other comments or questions? Um, in verse 7, he talks about, uh, or I guess he raises up, see with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show us the immeasurable riches of grace, grace and kindness for us in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it's like he's going to show us in the coming ages his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness. Yeah. That kind of goes back to the prayer that he wants us to know yeah. um, the riches and glories and inheritance of the saints, immeasurable greatness, the hope. And Jeff asked that question a couple weeks ago to expound on it. Yeah. Um, a lot of times we think about that hope in the coming ages, like later. Yeah. Like, but there's a lot of that now, and that kind of already. Yeah. Like now, like, I don't know. Because um, life's not always easy, but there's hope and beauty and. Yeah. Joy now, not just later. Is yeah. Talking about kind of both there, or is he pointing right there towards the coming ages when Christ returns? Well, I, you know, I'm not. I'm honestly not sure. I, I would say that he is. Um, he has in mind future blessings and riches that will come to us in full uh, when Christ returns or when we're glorified in Him. Um. But there's no doubt that that's, uh, that is, that's not to say that this is supposed to be some pie-in-the-sky sort of thinking, because we go back to the, the meaning of the word hope, the hope to which he's called us. And that word, that uh, Greek word elpis, is, uh, carries with it uh, certainty. A, a certainty that our word, when we say hope, we don't, it doesn't have that same force that it does in the Greek. Um, so it's something that we can be certain of. Um, and it takes a supernatural, and Paul's prayer, again, was that the Spirit would make these things known to us, a supernatural revelation of these things to us um, that we otherwise couldn't sort of muster with our own intellect. Does that help?